Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. This week, the bookcase. Julie brings the case against her husband, Jason. Julie says Jason is a book hoarder, letting old novels and textbooks rot away in their garage. He says he's acquired a great collection of books and is working his way through the stacks. Who is right? Who is wrong? Only one man can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom. It was pretty silly, quoting poetry around free and easy like that. It was the act of a silly damn snob. Give a man a few lines of verse and he thinks he's the lord of all creation. You think you can walk on water with your books. Well, the world can get by just fine without them. Well, look where they got you. In slime, up to your lip. If I stir the slime with my little finger, you'll drown. Bailiff Jesse, swear them in. Please rise and raise your right hands. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God or whatever? I do. I do. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling, despite the fact that he has written the only three books that anyone really needs to have? I do. I do. Very well. Judge Hodgman? So, for an immediate summary judgment, can either of you bookworms name <laughs> the piece of culture that I paraphrased? I actually didn't paraphrase this. It quoted directly from pages 117 to 118. Hint, hint. When I came into the courtroom... <laughs> It's simple. Just I have remember, no idea. Just remember pages 117 to 118 of every book you ever read. I narrowed it down for you. Is it the areas of my expertise? Well, I appreciate your flattery very much, but no. <laughs> and I already heard from you, Jason. No idea. Yeah, no idea. What if I came and burned all the books in your house? What? Oh, Fahrenheit 451? Correct, dumbs. Next time... <laughs> I'm, I'm debuting a new extra aggressive judgment style <laughs> today. Well, you both lose as a result. That was a hard one. What if I had said this one? Would you have gotten it? Monday, burn Malay. Wednesday, Whitman. Friday, Faulkner. Burn them to ashes, then burn the ashes. That's our official slogan. Also from Fahrenheit 451. Would you have gotten it then? No. Right, good. Well, I gave you two chances. You both lose. I'm going to go burn your books now. Thank you. That solves my problem. Well, I'm also going to burn down your house, so there you go. Oh, that's, never mind. <laughs> everyone loses. So, Julie, you say yes. Jason has too many books. Is that correct? It, it Yes, it, we do. Um, the, I should have known that this was a problem when we were dating. I read a book called The Land of Laughs, which is a really nice science fiction fantasy book. Jason's not into sci-fi at all. I was preparing a care package for soldiers in Afghanistan, and I was about to put this in there, and Jason said, no, no, I might want to read that someday. Um, so the soldiers in Afghanistan were denied this what? book. And, and, and it's still on our shelf. To quote John Worcester from the best show on WFMU, <laughs> what? Jason, why are you keeping books from soldiers? That was just one instance. I don't even remember that instance. If she wants to send it now, she can. But oh, sure. Now, now that now that your weird and monstrous behavior is submitted to the light of day, of course, yes, of course. Now, but then, no, you don't recall this. I don't recall this exactly. No, I see. And Julie, I would wait, like wait, to read that book you, someday. Are you saying Julia's a liar? Well, I would say that she's 
engaged in some obfuscation. I mean, I understand that she's uh, provided some materials to you and she hasn't provided them to me at all. So yeah. I, I'm not calling her a liar, but I am calling her an obfuscator. This isn't a court. First of all, this isn't a court of law. She can do whatever she wants. Second of all, <laughs> obfuscation is a kind of lying. You're calling your wife a oh. liar. Just say it and tell that dog to stop moving around and holler <laughs> so much. Well, um, just say, I just say, I, I, say to your wife, you are a liar. <laughs> I don't really think that I can do that. Because... I will have order. This isn't a court of law. You have to do what I say. Okay. <laughs> repeat, after, repeat after me. Julie. Yeah. Yes. Julie. Julie. You are a liar. You are a liar. Whoa, Julie. Did you hear I cannot believe this. No, actually, I, I can't. Tell me when this happened again. Um, this was probably eight or nine years ago. So but sometime. It, 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 we, this is a constant thing. I love books. We both read constantly. When we met online dating, my handle was Bookworm Seeks Dog Lover, which, as you can see, fits us pretty well. How many dogs do you have? Two. Two, two living and 300 dead in your den? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, oh, some wow. books fell on them. Yeah. Um, and how many, so how many books does Jason have? Oh, thousands, I'm sure. I've, I haven't counted them. The thing is, any wait, wait, book wait, wait, that excuse we me, own... Excuse me, Jason, have you counted them? No, but I, I've counted the number of shelves, and we have approximately 25 shelves. And so, uh, shelves full of books, so that's not too many. Well, uh, what would be your estimate of how many you have? Maybe 30 books fit on a shelf, so not that many. Wait, Maybe. Look, I'm going to do some simple math, okay? 30 books times 25 shelves. It's a good thing you waited for me because I know neither one of you could have done this for me. <laughs> equals thousands of books. That's right. Thousands. Thank you. No, exactly. it, equals, it equals 750. That's a big difference between... At a minimum, 2,000, if you were going to say thousands. So, well, once again, one of you is a liar. I don't want to call her a liar. I think that um, it's you, probably closer to 1,200. Maybe I'm underestimating the number of books per shelf. Okay. So, so let's just say between 1,000 and 2,000 books. Now, I think that's fair. Are you a collector, sir, or are you a hoarder? Because with books, it's a little different. My, the, the standard watchword on this in this courtroom, of course, is the difference between a hoarder and a collector is a display case. But a bookshelf can be full of books that you are hoarding, even though it is technically a storage device. Books are, occupy a special kind of space, because if you're just cramming in books that you do not read, that you are keeping and holding onto neurotically, uh, that would be more hoarding than it would be collecting. But if you are uh, have certain areas of interest that uh, that are important to you and you take care of your books well and you display them and they are meaningful to you, that would be more collecting. So which is it? I'd say I'm more of a collector. Okay. What are your areas yeah. of interest? Well, uh... Dogs barking, obviously. <laughs> My areas of interest uh, are literature, American history. I, I don't claim to be an expert in any of these things. Not, I just like I'm not to... asking you to prove your expertise. I'm asking you to prove that you are not a crazy hoarder. 
I'm not crazy. I, I do like to keep books around because they, um, I mean, I have, I came prepared with six defenses if you'd like to hear them, but I mean, well, to I the, would, I would like to hear them, but I would like you to answer the question. Do you, are you a book collector? Do you chase down first editions of things? Do you no. collect books in a certain theme because you like the books or you just like the stuff that comes in the books, the words and the knowledge and stuff? That's right. Okay. And your, and your areas of not expertise, but interest would be literature, pretty broad, and American history and anything, and dogs barking, anything else? That's pretty much it. But whatever anyone gives me, I'm going to eventually get around to reading. Is that really true? Because that can't be true. Well, if I keep it around long enough, I will. And, you know, depending on when I die, I figure I have a lot of time to go. How quickly can you read? How quickly do you read? Not very quickly right now. We've got a six-year-old boy and a two-year-old girl in addition to our dogs and our full-time jobs. And the only time I really get to read is right before bed. Okay. And so how long do you read? Uh, maybe like half an hour to an hour every night. All right. Let's be generous and say an hour. And how, how many pages do you get through? 25, 30. All right. Let's say 30. And would you agree that a book is more or less, uh, what, 300 pages? Is that just for simple math? Sure. Okay. So every hour you read a tenth of a book and you have suggested that you have 1,200 books so multiply that by 10, it would take you 12,000 hours to read your entire collection as it exists now, right? 12, that's true, hours, but right? that's true. But a lot of the books that we have around, so I've already 12,000 evenings divided by 365 roughly. So 32 years. And what is your age? 42. So you will be done. If you never get another book, you will be done with all these books by the time you are 75 years old. Do you still want to claim that you will get around to all of them eventually? I do, because... um, You, sir, are an obfuscator. Go on, though. Because my rate of being able to read is going to increase. As the kids get older, they're going to be doing their own things, and it's going to involve less active parenting. And then I'll, I'll get older and have less interest in doing things and only want to sit around and read. Right, okay. So you understand what the future holds for you and your marriage then, Julie? Pretty hot. (laughs) How many books do you acquire per year? Not many. I'd say between 10 and 20. What would you say, Julie? Yeah, probably. I think for Hanukkah and Christmas, we mostly get books from folks. And I've stopped buying books, um, physical books. I only buy Kindle books now due to the hoarding, and I have no room for them. Okay, well, uh, we'll get to the other problems of the hoarding in a moment. I just want to focus again on this ridiculous assertion that you're going to get around to reading all of them. Yeah, for Hanukkah, like two years ago, he got the entire Anton Chekhov collection, which he put on his Amazon wish list thinking, hmm, this would be nice to have on the shelf, I suppose. I mean, that alone, I think, would take him half a decade to get through. So let's say you get 10 more books... Right, so that would actually be another 340 books over the 34 years it would take you to complete your current collection. So then we add, yeah, no, I just, don't you understand you're not going to be able to read all these things? No, I don't, I don't really get that. Okay, you're a hoarder, good. Now that we've settled that, Julie, 
Yes, sir. What uh, what uh, problems does this cause your household? The space that they take up. And also, I love to read. I read constantly. Um, I, I probably read more than Jason does, but some of the books, which I do like to reread, are double stacked on our shelves, so I can't get to them. Mm-hmm. Um, if I buy new books, I don't have a place for them. Recently, I brought home a couple piles of psychology textbooks I wanted to store. There's no place for them, so they're in a bag in the garage. Okay, you're uh, also plus, a hoarder. Okay. Next, next case, please. <laughs> <laughs> and the kids' books. Um, they now Jason won't let me get rid of some of the children's books, even though they're like pee stained and you know I just have horrible fluids on them, and because they have positive memories for him, so your child is you know. your child is six years old now. <laughs> is it a boy or a girl? <laughs> Boy we have a six-year-old boy and a two-year-old girl. And a two-year-old girl. And they're peeing all over the books just because <laughs> they want to give you a taste of what it's going to be like when they're teenagers. Screw you guys. Books are for losers. Pee. <laughs> okay, maybe it's not pee, but I, my mind imagines the worst. So. Jason, Jason, There's... in your defense, would it be fair to say that you have, as your wife has suggested, a sentimental attachment to the books that goes beyond the, the, the truth of, or not of whether you're going to read them all? That don't, would be fair to say. Don't let your dog answer for you, sir. I'm asking you. No, that would be fair to say, regardless of what the dogs say. That's all you needed to say. You didn't have to go this fabrication that you're going to read them all. Why do you think he won't let go of books? Well, I have a couple theories. At first, when I first met Jason, I thought maybe he needed to prove something. And after he read a book, he wanted to keep it around to show how smart he is. But I, I realize now that's not it. I mean, Jason's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. He's very accomplished. And, uh, you know, just having a conversation with him, it's really clear he's smart. He doesn't need to prove it with a huge bookshelf. I think that we can all agree as, as bibliophiles. That's the way I pronounce bibliophile, by the way. As bibliophiles, that there feels there is something wrong about throwing away a book, right? Right. I mean, that feels awful. I think we're, we all concur on that. And right. our, and 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 yet, I don't get the impression that either the ones, with the exception of the ones that are stained all over with pee, <laughs> you you rather are suggesting repurposing the books by sending them to soldiers as well as orphans and needy people or donating them to used bookstores, that sort of thing. Exactly. And Jason, do you object to all of that? I do. For the books that I want to actually read, absolutely. Yeah, but we've already determined that you think you can read all books. I do think that I can read all the books in the house at the time. You think you can read all of those books? <laughs> sure. And I don't, I mean, Utter giving madness. them back to, giving them back to bookstores is, is not good um, Why? either because it deprives authors of uh, royalties. I mean, when you sell a used book, the author doesn't get the royalty. And so why not support writers and support publishing houses by keeping the books out of the black market? You're, you're black hoarding, market. you're hoarding. It's not a black market. It is a, it is a, it's been a recognized legal trade for hundreds of years. <laughs> the resale of books is pretty common. Uh, but that said, you're, you're, so you're hoarding books for the benefit of authors? I am. Have you ever, and also, have you ever bought a book from a used bookstore? Yes, I have. Get out! 
you've gone so mad, you've become an utter hypocrite <laughs> saying two things at the same time. Well, if I'm buying it from a used bookstore, I'm reducing the supply. So therefore, the next person who wants that book is going to have to buy it new. And then do you send a por- the, por- the appropriate portion of the uh, cover price to the author? <laughs> uh-huh. No, I don't. I shall, leave, I shall let your silence resonate for a moment on this podcast. Everyone be quiet. <laughs> The one time those dogs didn't bark, even those dogs knew (laughs) that that argument was specious at best, insane in all probability. You think you think I'm against you on this, Jason? I do. And I'm surprised because you're an author and you're also probably a person who reads books. Well, you got one of those things right. (laughs) I'm definitely an author. But as someone who used to work in the book publishing business, Every time someone says the word book, I am now conditioned to cringe and, and, uh, and go into a fetal position and hope that no one ever puts a book in front of me again. Having read so many terrible manuscripts, my bibliophilism was beaten out of me by, by working in book publishing. I am not the only person, but not everyone in book publishing feels that way, of course, but I'm, I am one of the few that got terrified of books for a long time, such that I had nothing left but to write them. That's how I avoided reading them. And indeed, I have culled my own book collection considerably since then, because I know not only will I, can I not physically read those books, but I also don't want to. Has not your taste changed? And do you not think your taste will change in 75 years, sir? I do think it'll change, uh, but I think the books that I have are generally pretty good. I mean, when pick one she's at random, talking pick about, one at random, well, sir, right now, reach out, reach out to one of your many piles of books and pull one out. Okay. I'm going to have to go to the living room where the dogs are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, Julie. Yes, sir. Now that we can talk again. Is this guy kidding me? Or is he for real when he says that he's going to read all these books? He really thinks he can. And I, it, it's kind of sad because he doesn't open himself up to new books. You know, there's so many good books coming out constantly and some really fantastic authors these days. Um, like Michael Shabon, you know, every few years he comes out with a new book and uh, we have a couple of them. Jason hasn't gotten to them yet. Are you really coming on of... my podcast to buzz market Michael Shabon? No. <laughs> Hey, uh, hey, 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 you know how I feel about buzz marketing. B, Michael Shabon does not need your help, my friend. Okay, okay, okay. And C, but C, I forgive you because he's pronounced his name correctly and he's brilliant. So there. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. But but I don't think, I don't think you need to make an argument that books are coming out every year and some of them are good. That that we can stipulate. He's never going to get to them. Yeah. So. So the book I picked out at random is a book by Herman Melville. It's called The Confidence Man. Okay. That is a timeless book. You may keep it. Go get another one. Okay. Now, Julie. I mean, Jason. Yes, sir. Oh, Julie. Oh. Right, sorry. Is he going to get another book? I am. Uh, all right, good. Go on. I'm talking to your wife now. Julie. Yes. How, how, uh, what do you, what do you want to do here? You want to cull the herd by how much? Okay, well, um, 10%? in my car. 10%? You want to decimate it 10%? 
I, I don't know. I mean, that would be pretty terrific. I, in my PowerPoint presentation I submitted, I'm not sure if you saw that, but I, I work for the government, so I always use PowerPoint. But um, I had a proposal that um, I put a few potential courses of action in there. And one of my proposals is that we buy two nice bookshelves that are for indoor use only, not in the garage, and we both get to populate them with the books of our choice. Whatever books are remaining in the garage are given away. And then in the future, if one of us wants to buy a book, then we need to pick one of the books from our shelves to go to Goodwill. Two bookshelves holding, you're talking about two bookcases of how yes, many, of yes, how many shelves, I'm sorry. how many shelves each? Oh, I'm thinking tall ones of like five or six shelves, um, because right now we only have one really nice bookshelf inside the house and the rest are all in the garage. So, you know, if right. all of if we had a library in the house, I would be fine with filling a library with books. It's just that they're in the garage and they're, you know, getting yucky. If I it, it, so but if I were to remember correctly, Jason described having 25 bookshelves. That's about yeah. right. Oh, you're back. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're Oh, I'm back. I picked out another book. Yes. Uh, This one's called Jewish Magic and Superstition, A Study in Folk Religion. Who's the author? Uh, Joshua Trachtenberg. I I prefer the one by Rabbi Mike Unterberg. Go get another one. Now, Julie. (laughs) Yes. That's you're talking about cutting down the book collection by more than half. Um, yeah, probably. But um, a lot of the books that we have are are ones that are, you know, like on, cover. On, wait, wait. What is it possible on? that Jason is looking for a book inside his garburator? <laughs> I just I went mean, into the garage. Oh, you just went into the garage. You, oh, so you, That's correct. You're going in, in for some deep cuts now. <laughs> What's this? Ther- I thought he was rubbing against a dog with a microphone or something. Well, I know. I can tell he's very angry. What's the third one, Jason? The third one is School Law, Cases and Concepts, 5th edition. Now, now here we go. I, the first one was a classic. The second one sounds really cool and mysterious. Third one, Cases and Concepts. First of all, s- settle down over there, Jason. Sit down, relax. Are you there? I'm relaxed. Okay. Yes, I'm relaxed. Say the, na- say the title of this thing again. Uh, the title is School Law, Cases and Concepts, 5th edition. Right. So imagine you're 74 years old. You've read all 1,199 books in your collection. You have not read a single new book since today for 34 years or whatever. You pick up the final one. Finally, you're going to prove John Hodgman wrong. And the one you pick up is... It's so boring, I can't even say it. Say it again. School law, cases and concepts, fifth edition. And you're telling me you're not going to drink poison at that moment? <laughs> you don't want to well, read this... that book. You do... Have you read it already? I have. Oh, so that one you've read. So you can throw that one away or donate it to a person who wants to commit suicide? No, that's one of his rules. Once you've read a book, it has to stay in the collection. Oh, boy. What does the local public library think about that one? <laughs> Well, no, I don't. I don't. Um, All right. Read books from the library. I've been, but yes, I can. I can dispose of this one. That's fine. Oh well, get get ready because this is going to be a long podcast. We're going to go through it book by book. <laughs> Julie, 
stand by yes, for a second. I know that you have a okay. PowerPoint presentation. I, 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 I'm sure that I got it. I'll, I'll review it in a moment. But Jason, I've been, I, we've been having a good time, right? Having a little fun. I've been a little bit rough on you. You have, you have six defenses. Is that correct? That is correct. And I think I, I owe you a chance to gather your obviously very noisy notes together and, and present your six defenses in a, in a swift and succinct manner, please. Sure. Well, my first defense is that it's in the best interest of the kids to have books around. Um, there's a high correlation between number of books in that household and academic achievement. But you understand that that is an argument that could be made for having books around, not necessarily an argument to be made for having all books around. But I think if you have more books around, it's better. But how is that offset by the increased chance of being crushed by books? <laughs> <laughs> Case two. <laughs> Argument two. All right, my second one is uh, my psychological welfare. Uh, it's great for me to have books around that I've read in the past, books that I want to read in the future. It really kind of connects me to the outside world. I would make the exact opposite argument in all cases. <laughs> Go on, case three. <laughs> my third defense is that we have room. We live in a house that has 1,800 plus square feet. We li don't live in the big city. So we do have room in the garage to keep them. Uh, um, the house is 1,800 square feet, or does that include the garage? The house is 1,800 and plus the garage. And the, and, and the, okay, and the garage, and do you keep anything else in the, in the garage besides the, the books? Do you have a car? No, we don't keep the car in the garage, we but do we have, do keep. We do have a car, but it's full of old National Geographic's. <laughs> And goldfish cracker crumbs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. You, you, you do have a car, but you do not keep it in the garage. Right. But we do keep other stuff in the garage. Okay. Uh, uh, for, so 1,800 square feet? Right. Well, I, I, I don't mean to brag, but I have an apartment in the big city. And it is 1,400 square feet, which <laughs> it's, it's not bad. But I have a family of... I have a wife and two children as well. I don't have 17 dogs like you. But I don't have room for 1,200 books. And that's only 400 square feet. That's, a size, that's an extra a room that you have. Next. All right. The fourth one is the one you've already heard about the supportive writers. The fifth one is uh, now, wait, supporting wait, wait, the... Just a follow-up question on the supportive writers. Mm -hmm. And I want you to think very carefully when you answer this. Were you serious when you made that argument? No. Okay, good. Good. You just did your case a whole lot of good. Next. My fifth defense is the um, uh, supporting artistic ambitions. So artists want their works to go on and live forever and ever. And by keeping it around, I am kind of fulfilling the artistic ambition for immortality. Right. So you expect a thank you note from Michael Chabon as quickly as possible. <laughs> And the sixth defense is that I might go back to being a high school teacher at some point, and I didn't ever um, prepare for my classes, so I would just copy something like right before class, and it's helpful to have a whole wide selection of books to take to the photocopier to teach that day. Um, you are a former high school teacher? That's correct. Do you have a career now? Yeah, I'm a lawyer. Okay. And uh, is there uh, an issue of, uh, aside from space, is there, does this have a financial impact on your home? Julie? No, sir. You work for the DOD? Yes. So you get paid a ton of Bilderberg money? 
Yes, we government employees are are just rolling. But this is not there's no there is no issue of financial hardship. It's not as though Jason is going out and buying a thousand dollars of books a day or anything else. No. In fact, I think if you ruled in my favor, if anything, we would end up paying more because I would start buying more books. We would probably on the weekends go to some of the nice used bookstores and and tour around. I don't think you would be going there to those dens of iniquity. (laughs) The black market. The black market thieving dens. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When we were in Portland, um, you know, that one of the world's best used bookstores is, is there. We, we only bought two books for the kids. It was really sad. And is that because you don't have enough room? Yeah. It, it, um, so one of the books I just most recently bought was yours, the areas of my expertise. And uh, I'm not sure where that Wait one's going to live. Wait a minute. <laughs> one of the books you most recently bought? Uh... Uh-huh. Um, yeah. okay. <laughs> sorry about that. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's, only, it's only seven years old. You think I'm getting full royalties on that, Julie? Yeah, I bought it on the black market, yeah, so I seriously surprised. doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> but Jason's going to send a check. Your attempt, this is suddenly everything here has changed. As soon as Jason <laughs> said he wasn't serious about that used bookstore argument, I was like, okay, this guy's all right. And now you. Oh, man. Do you own any of my other books? No. I see. Jason? I, I don't, if it makes you feel better, I don't even own my own book that oh, I've written. You can, be a, you can be reassured, whether it is on this podcast or another. Nothing makes me feel better. Jason, do you own any yeah. of my books in your collection? No. All right. We, I, I think we share our collection. Yeah, it's community property. Um, so you own the, the, the out-of-print dollar bin edition of the areas of my expertise that your wife got as well is that you're sharing in that flattery that's right it's presently in our bathroom (laughs) chase don't tell him that he's gonna make us get off the phone no 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 that's the one thing i will uh, that's fine with me that's exactly where it belongs (laughs) that i happen to know that that is all my third book is in neil gaiman's bathroom one of the my proudest accomplishments that's fantastic. It is, He's one it? of my favorite authors. And that guy's got a lot of books. Now, you are now buying books in electronic format, no, yes. non-specific electronic format that we shall that not name. mention again Great. by name. Yes. Uh, and uh, this is because you want to buy new books and there is no more room in the house for, for new books? Or is it because Jason prohibits you from buying new books because it's going to add to his Sisyphean task? And you have to hide them from him on your machine. Probably a bit of both. As soon as I buy a book, it becomes ours and it can no longer be gotten rid of. So it's not that just the books Jason brings into the relationship need to be maintained. Every book that I touch also must be maintained forever. Is that really your position, Jason, that if a book comes in, it never leaves? No, she's exaggerating. Uh, I've let go of a lot of books in the past couple of years. We used to have a... Uh, a system where all the books that I've read would go on a certain bookshelf and not be dispersed among the other books in the more relevant subject areas. And we've changed that. So I've become a lot more flexible as our marriage has gone on. Yeah, but you understand that that you've become a somewhat more flexible than the least flexible position you could start from. <laughs> from, 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 a, from an intensely, intensely thought out categorizing system that most humans do not have. Even bibliophiles like me don't have special bookcases devoted to those that were read. 
<laughs> I mean, that's fair enough. <laughs> but I have been uh, becoming better, and I have been willing to throw out books. That's not my and position. By, and by that... throw out, we mean donate or, or repurpose in some way, except, I don't know, in your case, you have to, it has to be throw out, right? Because of your, your position that giving a book away counts as stealing from the author. So you, you, do you throw out books? Well, we would we would give them to uh, Goodwill or somewhere else. Oh, okay. So we would give them to a, a right. used bookstore. I agree that that's a better option than putting them in the trash. Right. Okay. So it seems to me, Julie, that your portrayal of your husband's maniacal, obsessive nature is perhaps a little overdrawn. Perhaps that it is a bit. Uh, I'd like to draw the court's attention to a book entitled Trucks, which is, I think, in our garage. And it was one of our son's first books, which makes it very sentimental to all of us, of course. But it's warped from some sort of liquid. I'm not sure what. And it's no longer white, the pages. Um, You know, it's definitely some sort of bodily fluids or something on there. And yet I'm not allowed to give that one away because Jason still remembers reading it with our son when he was an an infant. Well, also because Um, he doesn't want anyone else to get any weird diseases off this obviously (laughs) hazmat quality book. Uh, You know, I I think that's a book that possibly could get recycled, Uh, not necessarily given to Goodwill, but perhaps put in the recycling bin. Um, We've got quite a few of those. Uh, There's a Wacket in my pocket. The last few pages of that are so disreputable. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. One last question before I make my decision. Um, Do you have the book Our Animal Friends at Maple Hill Farm by Alice Provinson? No. I think I have everything I need to make my decision. I am going to go uh, crawl under this pile of trash and old pumpkins and into my book igloo in the middle of my living room floor and make my decision. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Jason, you're just a crazy person, right? I'm not a crazy person, no. (laughs) Textbooks? Well, this one, uh, this one I read, and you never know um, when it'll come up in my uh, legal practice that I'll be applying this. Like, you know, I guess this one I can throw out because I don't really do this kind of law. What about the high school textbooks? I don't know what you're referring to. R50 states? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That has such sentimental value. You wouldn't believe it. (laughs) It's from the time before there were 55 states. (laughs) Yeah. Julie, how do you feel about your chances in this case? You know, I feel good about my chances, but I can hear the pain in Jason's voice when he's talking about getting rid of the books. And so now I'm starting to feel really guilty for bringing the case in the first place. But it would be really nice to to be able to get to the books and, and get more and refresh. Jason, how do you feel? I feel better that now than I did at the beginning of the case. I think the court will probably uh, split the baby and uh, <laughs> do something in the middle of the road. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom. First of all, I'm going to tell you people I am not going to split any babies. Thank you. But I, I'm, I am going to <laughs> I am going to quarter a dog. <laughs> no, I'm sure they're good dogs. What are their, What are the dogs' names? <laughs> Reggie, Reggie and Ladybird. Yeah. Reggie and Ladybird, adorable. And what kind of dogs are they? They're shelter dogs. Uh, the Reggie's a black uh, 
Lab Boxer Mix and Ladybirds of Basenji Mix. Okay, good. They're both from the black market. Oh, I understand. You know, they've been re- from the shelter. They've been so. repurposed. Yeah, They're repurposed. Some, 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 some bitch has not got her royalties. <laughs> and by that I mean a female dog. Come on. <laughs> I was trying to think of who authors dogs, and it's obviously a female. Oh, never mind. Uh, Jason, you are a crazy person. I'm going to say that right now. Um, you have a, uh, a love of books, which is very clear. And you are a high-functioning crazy person in that you are able to, when pressed, acknowledge that you probably won't ever get around to reading school law and that it probably can go and that you do not actually think that used bookstores are the, the hands of the devil. Uh, and so, uh, in, in a sense, you are reachable. But you do have... A, um, I think a real, uh, uh, I, I won't say obsession, but an overdetermined sense of sentimentality when it comes to books such that it is affecting the way you and your spouse live and affecting your spouse's happiness. And I urge you to take it seriously in the sense that now you are, did you say 42? I am. Right. Now you are 42. And uh, you are coming to a point in your life where you're going to have to start letting some things go rather than hanging on to everything. It is a, it is a, a youthful person, of course, who carries his beloved uh, bookshelf with him from first apartment to second apartment to third. But now that you are in a home that you are sharing with another person, and especially now that you are the father to two human children and two uh, canine dogs... Uh, life is going to get away from you. And whatever ambitions you have about reading all of these things, you will find yourself, in my experience at least, relieved if you're able to just let a few things go and not clutch and hang on to things, especially things that have sentimental value because ultimately they are just books. But that said, you can keep as many dumb books as you want as long as they're not interfering with your life or crushing your children. Do you know what I mean? I, I do. And so I have to find in favor of you, Jason, because, uh, Julie, your life is okay. You have a boss job and a trailer for the DOD. <laughs> you true. have solved the problem of getting new books because you have this device where you can hide your new books from your husband. And you're, and you're, true. And, you're, and you can, and you can, you can, it's not as though he's prohibiting you from buying new books, uh, either by philosophy or, or direction. Uh, and, uh, and you have, uh, one bookshelf in the house and the rest of the books are out of sight, out of mind in the garage. Um, if he were a, an avid book collector or, or just accumulator, uh, I would say that there would be a reason for intervention in this case because you'll soon be out, out, uh, outnumbered and overrun. Um, but uh, for the most part, he seems to have it just barely within control. And as long as he's able to maintain that control... I see no reason to uh, to deprive him of 50% of his books, which is indeed what you said, is what you wanted to do. Um, I might suggest that if finances allow it, uh, that you might look into getting a storage space. If you're really just interested in keeping these books for the future, you might want to make sure that they're stored in a place where um, they won't come to too much harm or damage and are a little bit out of the way. And if the collection were to grow even more, I might even rule and insist upon it. 
But for the most part, I think that while I, I do encourage the defendant to um, release, to reexamine his connection to these books and release his clutches a little bit, as he clearly is able to do, book by book by book, uh, I don't see any reason for massive intervention along the lines that you are asking for, Julie. The only place where I will split the baby, though, is with regard to children's books. Children's books that have been destroyed by bodily fluids are not good for anybody. Those are the hard, among the hardest to let go of, and I appreciate that. Um, no, I mean, I do. There is a sentimental attachment there, but they are also the books that you most uh, need to cull from your uh, from your collection as your child grows older. One or two from from youth is one thing, but to hoard a whole bunch of picture books and board books and that sort of thing um, becomes deeply depressing to everyone involved as your child grows older. And those books would be better enjoyed by others. And you can't buy new children's books that not even not really well, even to my mind, on an electronic device. So you need to make room for the new ones to come in. You don't have the book Our Animal Friends at Maple Hill Farm by Allison Martin Provinson, which I consider to be the best children's book of all time. And so I sentence you both to buy one copy, physical copy, using the internet, and, uh, and add that new book to your kid's collection uh, and get rid of one corresponding book that has been soiled by pee or vomit. <laughs> Believe me, we got a book... <laughs> We got, a, we got a book from a library sale, a kid's book from a library sale, uh, and it was a great book, um, but it smelled so terribly of vomit that we had to throw it away. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that was, oh, that yes. was, that was a grim situation. Uh, so, I, so I insist upon that rotation, and I encourage you to be more open to rotation in children's books in particular. And the other reason that I recommend Our Animal Friends at Maple Hill Farm is because it is, it is a, a beautiful book about all the animals that live on a farm, and it has one of the most moving and, um, and, uh, and gentle uh, nods to the fact that pets are mortal, and eventually your two dogs are going to die and your children are going to cry, and this will help them with that. So with that in mind, bringing it all back to mortality, this is the sound of a gavel. Judge John Hodgman rules that is all. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Julie, how are you feeling? You know, I'm feeling okay about this. Um, uh, I think a good marriage is based on compromise, and I'm really glad about the children's books. That makes sense, and the judge is right. Uh, it's not, you know, really harming us to, to have a garage full of books. Jason, how about you? I'm fine with it, too, and... Uh, I can definitely go through the books again with Julie's help and pick out some ones that we can throw out. Well, I'm happy to hear it. Thanks for joining us on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Thank you. Hello, I'm your Judge John Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is brought to you every week by you, our members, of course. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast and all of your favorite podcasts at MaximumFun.org, and they are all your favorites. If you want to join the many member supporters of this podcast and this network, boy, oh boy, that would be fantastic. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give 
your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024, 2020-24. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I, I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step-by-step, day-by-day, bird-by-bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. 
topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Judge Hodgman, I can't help but notice that it looks like you're enjoying a book here in Chambers. Yep, I'm just reading uh, my old uh, Overstreet Price Guide to Comics. <laughs> it's not really intended for a reading. That's a reference work, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, when you get into the subplot of the near-mint condition Defenders Number 5, it gets pretty exciting. Could this be the next British television project for Julian Fellows, creator of Downton Abbey? Absolutely, except in this one, everyone comes back to life. <laughs> the rise and fall of the first appearance of Venom? Precisely. Um, well, listen, we have a really full docket. If you want to clear it out, we can. Yes, let's do it. Lightning round style. Here's something from Tom. My friend Liam and I have a recurring argument regarding phobias. Liam has told me that he has a fear of being in outer space, outside a shuttle in a spacesuit, only to find that his tether to the craft has severed, causing him to drift off helplessly into the cosmos. He claims that because the experience would be a truly horrific ordeal, it is a rational fear. I claim that since the likelihood of him ever being in space is very, very slim, the fear is irrational, thereby making it a phobia. He argues that you wouldn't call a fear of drowning in the sea irrational just because you didn't happen to be in the sea at the time of the discussion. And on this point, we agree. However, the sea is accessible to anyone, while outer space generally is not. Would you settle this debate? Can a fear be classified as rational or irrational based on situational context? And is this particular fear of phobia or not? Uh, fear of floating in space and being untethered from the craft, it could be classified only as a phobia to astronauts. Because only an astronaut could plausibly try to avoid that situation due to an irrational fear that his equipment or her equipment will fail. Fear of drifting off into space by almost everyone on Earth is something that would never happen and therefore is not something that you could be avoiding even though it is irrational to imagine it happening. Do you understand the difference, Jesse? I think so. Well, how does this apply to former NSYNC member Lance Bass? Uh, the famous astronaut Lance Bass. He, <laughs> Lance Bass, maybe? He would be, if he, if he were offered the opportunity of a tethered spacewalk and refused to do it because he had the fear that this guy had, that would be a phobia. But no human would have the opportunity, except for very few actual astro and cosmonauts, no human would ever have the opportunity to fear to have an irrational panic around floating off into space such that they would avoid taking steps to float off into space. That is a reasonable fear in that it is a horrifying situation, but it is not an irrational phobia because it is something that only an astronaut or cosmonaut would face. I'm afraid of going to space with former InSync member Lance Bass. Is that rational or irrational? Is that a phobia? Do you know what, Jesse? I'm afraid to answer that question because of my phobia. 
of frosted tips related questions. Basophobia. Here's something from Sean in regard to a recent snap judgment that Abyssinian cats do not, and this is a quote from Judge John Hodgman, love people and they have non-human emotions. Judge Hodgman, I must dispute your judgment that Abyssinian cats do not love people. They could be referred to as clingy, although I would not employ that word. Engaged might be a more appropriate term. I was also offended by the litigant's breeder comment, so I am not a sycophant. But Abbeys, short for Abyssinians, are considered to be one of the most intelligent breeds of cats, often referred to as dog cats, with the added bonus of being self-cleaning, sort of like a friendly oven. No shedding, no allergies. Plus, mine doesn't poop in a box. He uses the toilet just like grown-ups. Oh, boy. Thank you, by the way, for sending in a picture of your Abyssinian cat using the toilet, which I'm looking at now. Oh, boy. Uh, is that the end of the thing? Or is that just, was that a docket case or someone just yelling at me? That's just someone yelling at you about dog cats. First of all, I did not say that Abyssinian cats are incapable of love. I said cats are incapable of love. Not specifically <laughs> Abyssinian cats. And obviously that is not entirely true. Cats have a, a complex emotional relationship with humans uh, that simulates love and may even have something to do with love in their disordered cat brains. But bear in mind, cats also can be tricked by humans into pooping in the toilet, <laughs> which is the most humiliating thing a cat can do. Let us just agree that cats are essentially fickle, weird, pompous, and unknowable, even when they're licking your face like crazy, as is happening in the video that you sent me of your cat licking your face, either because it is a dog cat or because uh, you wiped some uh, friskies on your cheek. Either way, your cat is adorable, and because we want to get a million page views on our website, I'm going to post your video to MaximumFun.org. Because cat videos make it happen. Well, that's our whole docket. All I have left to do is mention BoatParty.biz. Please, go ahead. The Atlantic Ocean Comedy and Music Festival, presented by MaximumFun.org, KCRW, and Splitsider, featuring, among others, of course, yours truly and Judge John Hodgman. We may even uh, dispense a little justice at sea. I'd love to do that. There will definitely be a shuffleboard contest and music from John Darneal of the Mountain Goats. We've got Mark Marin. We've got John Roderick. John Roderick. Oh, the great John Roderick. We've got, uh, I mean, the list of people is almost comically long and impressive. Let, so, me, oh, let me ask oh, you, is Kristen Schaal going to be on this boat? Oh, Kristen Schaal will be on the boat, along with Kurt Brownaller, her, co her partner in comedy. Also on the boat? Holy boats. I want to be on this boat. Am I going to be on this boat? Oh, you're going to be on the boat. Are you going to be on the boat? I'll be on the boat. And you, listener, will you be on the boat? Yeah, I think that's a yes. Cool. I look forward to it. Boatparty.biz. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman Podcast. Marvelous.
The Judge John Hodgman podcast is a production of MaximumFun.org. Our special thanks to all of the folks who donate to support the show and all of our shows at MaximumFun.org slash donate. The show is produced by Julia Smith and me, Jesse Thorne, and edited by Mark McConville. You can check out his podcast, Super Ego, in iTunes or online at GoSuperEgo.com. You can find John Hodgman online at AreasOfMyExpertise.com. If you have a case for Judge John Hodgman, go to MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. If you have thoughts about the show, join the conversation on our forum at forum.maximumfun.org and our Facebook group at facebook.com slash Judge John Hodgman. We'll see you online and next time right here on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.